leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Today, we have Kyle who's joining us. Kyle is a recruiter and a specialized recruiter as that. So we want to take advantage of some of his knowledge and glean his insight from his years of experience. So Kyle, let's start with just introducing yourself. Sure. First off, Chris, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, as you said, I'm a recruiter. I specialize in cybersecurity. More, more accurately, I'm a retained search specialist. So I spend my time on only a couple of different clients or a couple of different searches at a time. And typically, I'm working for cybersecurity vendors, helping them fill certain key P and C level roles, um, sometimes director and senior director level, depending on the company and the role. I recruit across all different functions. So everything from marketing to finance, sales, uh, and also on the security practitioner side as well. So when I'm not working with the cybersecurity vendors, I'm spending my time placing CISOs, product security uh, professionals, red teamers, related talent. So Definitely spending the bulk of my time in cybersecurity, but with a foot on both sides of the, the spectrum here. So for those of us out there, I'm sure the leaders might know about the difference between retained and non-retained search. For those of them, those of us just entering into the industry, what's the difference and what makes it so specialized for you? Sure. So number one, my specialty, yes, it's in cybersecurity, but what... When people ask me where I specialize, I often get the question, are you better at placing marketing professionals? Are you better at placing sales professionals or whatever? It'd be nice if I could just say, yeah, that's my wheelhouse. But the real answer is a little more nuanced than that. My specialty is search. So when you talk about retained search, um, you pay basically a retainer up front to own me <laughs> until the search is done. Um, and that means I'm going to turn away other business if I have to, to preserve my bandwidth to make sure that I'm producing the highest work product possible. So if I am, let's say I'm retained on a CISO search, for example, typically it's not just about filling the role. It's also going to be about providing the hiring manager, the hiring team with a lot of information that they didn't have going into the search. Oftentimes there's a lot of questions going into a search 
sometimes questions they don't even know to ask. And, and upfront, I'm there to put those questions in front of them to help set us up for a healthier search with less kind of surprises. So when I work on a search, I'm not just focused on trying to get some good candidates, posting the role, hoping that something comes my way. It's the opposite. I'm going out there and I'm doing a very targeted research and very targeted outreach. Again, not to just find candidates, but to build a, um, an accurate representation of what the talent pool looks like today. It's almost, I compare it to like cartography, right? Like I'm mapping out the current landscape and, and not only bringing the candidates back to my clients, but also answers to those unanswered questions we had going in uh, to the search. And oftentimes where we start a search with regard to scope and uh, what kind of person we want, salary, equity, all that kind of stuff. Oftentimes where we start on a search is not where we end up by the time we fill it. So I guess the key difference is I stay very focused on the projects that I'm working on and try not to um, stretch myself too thin. Uh, there's another model of recruiting that's more staffing or contingency recruiting, and that's a very different motion. And uh, listen, it's just as important, right? Not every role needs a retained search effort. Some of them do. Uh, but in the case of a staffing company or a contingency um, placement uh, recruiting company, um, it's they're going to be taking a higher volume of clients, a higher volume of roles, and they're not typically going to be quite as devoted waking up thinking about that role because, hey, if I'm not getting traction on this director of marketing role I'm working on, I always have three or four or five or six other roles that I can just spend my time on that day. That's not how it works for me. I, when I commit to something, I see it through start to finish, no matter how hard it is, no matter how many times we need to pivot based on things we learned on the search and things like that. But again, both models, I think, are they work for different things. They're both equally important in my view, uh, but just a very different motion. I like the idea in the retained search that you provide the hiring manager, the company with additional information that you said they, they both ask for and sometimes they don't ask for. So for example, I'm assuming where they might give you a job description and that job description really includes five or six roles. You're going to be like, whoa, hold on. These are the skills and competencies that this role typically has. And if you're looking to hire someone at this level, then maybe we create the job rec at this level. Versus writing right. a director or a senior analyst and going through that negotiation with them and sharing them resources like the niceness workforce development framework or other tools that are out there for salary benchmarking, things like that. Is that correct? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty often I'll write the job description myself, especially if it's a first time hire, if it's their first CISO, if there's, it's their first CMO. Whether it's a Series A startup or it's a 3,000 person publicly traded company, you'd be surprised. There's oftentimes you get that very generic, very long <laughs> job description, right? And that can be helpful, but oftentimes I'm writing it virtually from scratch. And typically the job descriptions that you see out there, um, yeah, they include everything under the sun in terms of the responsibilities, but also uh, under the ex required experience. You know, there's a lot of boxes to check there. And for a contingency or a staffing uh, recruiting firm, or even like an internal recruiter, maybe who hasn't done that role before or hasn't been around that, I think that can be a double-edged sword, right? The job description can really help bring them up to speed and help them know what to look for. But if there are too many requirements down there, I feel that you can get lost in those requirements, right? And so when I build a job description, I really 
try to get my arms around what is this role? If it's a CISO, let's say, what does this CISO role look like for this company? And let's just focus in on those requirements, those responsibilities. Anybody I'm bringing forth is going to have a track record. So maybe they don't have the the degree that you wanted them to have. But in the time since they graduated their undergrad, they've done X, Y, and Z that's much more valuable for this role than a degree or a certain certification or whatever. So you're absolutely right. Job descriptions out there, especially on the more technical security practitioner side, it's tricky there because the people who write those are not always the most technical people. Um, and we're all doing the best we can, right? Uh, but there's always room for improvement. And I think shorter job descriptions uh, that really focus in on not just a CISO role or a CMO role, but the specific role for your company, you really set yourself up for success if you can care for that on the front end and not just have a five-page job description with everything under the sun in it. Yeah, and it would seem another pro to using a retained search firm is that they can potentially guide you to whether, where to place the leveling of the role. So it could yeah. be that you're a series A or a pre-seed and you don't need a CISO just yet. You, you potentially need a security engineer or head of security that can act as a security engineer and that can build in that infrastructure before you get to that need for having who's having someone who's a little more strategic, having someone who's more comfortable in building out that roadmap. Is that correct? Absolutely. It's something I talk about a lot actually is don't waste the hire. So working with early stage companies, especially everybody's very excited to grow and chase that exit or whatever it is. Uh, and so oftentimes I, I will kind of counsel my clients like, okay, you want, you think you want a CMO right now, or you think you want a CISO right now, but let me tell you why you might want to consider a VP or a director for the stage that we're at today, because first off, hiring a senior executive with a track record can be pretty pricey. And if you want to make sure that the foundation is there to set them up for success so that you're fully utilizing them, right? you're not just paying a big paycheck and they're doing the job of a director or a VP. And sometimes it's not always that simple to just say on that, that first kickoff call, okay, Kyle, you're right. Let's go for a VP. So typically on a search like that, I bring in a whole spectrum. So I will bring you my client, people that are at the director level, all the way up through SVPC level, conduct a survey on a number of items, including compensation. But also let's, circling back to the unanswered questions, sometimes when we go into a search, let's say I have one very specific question ar around our security posture, whatever it is. I'm asking every candidate that question and I'm cataloging all their answers. And then when I get back to my client, and it's typically multiple questions, right? I have a real live uh, survey, street level survey um, with the perspectives of experts in the field at various levels, director, VP, SVP, C-level, um, and same goes for the compensation. And so that's where we start to uh, settle into an equilibrium and go, okay, maybe what we want isn't quite what we can afford, or maybe what we thought we want is actually way too much. And this is a pleasant surprise, we can, but we can go with a director and maybe that person grows up into a VP. Or maybe we hire a VP over them in the future. I don't, I'm not sure a contingency model allows for that level of kind of reshuffling the search and, and bringing back that level of information. Now, if they have the bandwidth, I'm sure that happens on that side of things too, but absolutely. I sometimes tell people I'm more like a management consultant, like trapped in the body of a recruiter. So that brings up an important question. Which are the factors are the most important in 
hiring someone? Is it the job description? Is it the challenge? Is it the pay, the benefits, the culture? What is it that tends to draw most of the applicants in for you to even have <laughs> that conversation with them? So here's a, another important distinction. Most of my candidates aren't, uh, aren't applicants. Typically it's somebody who's going, oh, I'm in a role that I'm having a blast. I love it. I don't really think I need to leave or want to leave. Um, and so for me, uh, I, as a solo operation and as a retained search specialist, I had the privilege of um, being a little selective with which opportunities I present. And so it's rare that I get a role that checks every single box. It's got the highest comp possible. It's got the biggest scope. It's got a killer team underneath it, right? That's not always the case. Sometimes it is. But if I can't find a way to uh, tell a compelling story about the opportunity, it's probably not a search I'm taking on. But it, usually there's enough pieces there for me to say, look at the founders, look at the value prop, look at the investors and their track record, look at trends in cybersecurity spending in this kind of subsector of the industry. For me, there's always a good story to tell. And so candidates are sometimes having to go, it pays a little less than the role I'm in now. But it sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like a great team. It sounds like an opportunity to build something. And that's typically what really does it for people. It's like some folks do want to just stay in a larger company and kind of status quo. And that's fine, right? Other people really are excited to sit at the table and help build something, help get through some challenges. It's like an adventure, right? So as long as you're on that adventure with people you enjoy being with and you think there's a reasonable chance that there's going to be success for the company and for yourself, that that's like the sweet spot. You know what I mean? So it has to have a, a great story, but you also want the people who are up for the challenge. And those are usually the roles I'm working on. Like people aren't typically retaining me um, to just get a square peg for a square hole. So it usually takes a special person who's really enthusiastic and excited. So we're at the beginning of 2024 and there's always going to be predictions of what's going to happen. And I'd hate to have you and not have at least three of your predictions for what might come in 2024 for retained search or search in general. So sure. What top three predictions do you have for this year? Oh man, that's a tough one. Can I get away with mentioning AI at this point? I don't know if that's even a prediction anymore, but I have seen, of course, like one of my former clients, CrowdStrike. Last year, they had the Super Bowl ad and they announced this Gen AI kind of psych or, or co-pilot, right? Charlotte. Um, and more and more companies are starting to incorporate generative AI into their product. Of course, CrowdStrike had other you know, types of AI and other aspects of AI that were un underlying their value prop. And I'm sure many other security companies as well. But I, I'm seeing uh, a bit of a trend where investors seem to be looking for those, uh, those companies that do include like a co-pilot, right? Anything that lowers the technical barrier to entry for the user, I think is going to make for an attractive investment for, for VC. So that would be one, I guess, is to see money and invest flowing in the security companies that have, that are caring for generative AI as a core piece of their offering. It'll be interesting for, to see which before companies. You move on, before you move on yeah. to your second prediction, let's drill into that one. Let's so, do it. Yeah. You have various levels of, of talent and how do they prepare for that? So let's say at the more junior level, how do they prepare for generative AI within the marketplace and within their job structure so that when they're sharing their actionable story or their interview stories with hiring managers that they can set themselves apart? Yeah, I mean, that, that's 
an interesting question. If somebody hasn't had hands-on experience working for a company that incorporates AI into the product or using AI as a tool to help them do their job better, they don't have that story to tell. But in the meantime, there's all sorts of free resources out there you can be utilizing to help you perform better in your job. ChatGPT, I know everybody's so sick of hearing that phrase or that word or whatever, right? ChatGPT. But, you know, I have a premium account. It's really useful. Let's say that, let's say I do need to write a job description quickly. I might go to ChatGPT and feed it one or two of my other job descriptions and say, shorten this down, write this for X, Y, and Z. And that saves me 10 or 15 minutes and then I can take it home from there. So that's one example of how I use it in my role. Um, it's not uh, change my output at the end of the day. Everything people see is still what they expect to see from me. But behind the scenes, there's all sorts of tools you can be utilizing you know, from an AI perspective to help you perform better in your role and to help you in your job search too. I was just on a, a pod, another podcast with a similar kind of topic around how do you break into cyber? And I think this, is, this was aimed at um, people who are really just maybe coming out of school and stuff like that. And I think the example I gave there was like, let's say you want to become a CISO of, like, let's say, a restaurant chain or something. Uh, you can go to ChatGPT and drop me a list of pub publicly traded restaurant chains, right? So for the people who don't know what they don't know, those kind of Gen AI <clears throat> products free products can be super helpful in helping you come up to speed and helping you figure out which avenues to go down as you conduct your research, right? So it can make you a little smarter, a little faster. It's not going to change everything. Um, but I would say if you haven't played around with that stuff, go to Google Bard, go to ChatGPT, check it out, play around and see if you can get it to help you out. And for those in their more senior levels, how do you see organizations concerned about the risk or the potential of mm -hmm. using Gen AI or artificial intelligence in their work product? And how can the more senior of us catch up to speed? You can ask ChatGPT that question. No, I think it presents a, an interesting dilemma, right? Because Yes, you want to give your team the best tools to make them as fast and powerful as, you know, as possible, make you look good in front of your boss and the board. And at the same time, you want to make sure that you're protecting your intellectual property, your data, right? And I don't, I don't care if ChatGPT says everything that you put in there is, is private. Nothing is really, you know this, right? Nothing's really truly private unless you're building your own from the ground up, which presents its own risks, right? If you're, if you're a security company, and you're building your own Gen AI, you're kind of spreading yourself out a little thin, right? Are you really going to be able to build the safest Gen AI for your product if that hasn't been a plan all along the way and you're just like raising your hand now to say, hey, we do this too. Same goes for the products that you use to, to perform better in your job. You really got to make sure that maybe the free product is not the right one for you if, in a professional setting. Right? Making sure that you care for the security around that I think is super important and I'm not the person to tell you how to evaluate what, you know, which AIs are <laughs> the, the safest ones to use, but certainly that's a huge consideration. And then the whole conversation about Skynet, that's all, that's not for me to talk to, but we could talk about Terminator if you want though. Great movie. I'd just leave it at Die Hard as a really great Christmas movie and stay away from that. <laughs> um, but okay, let's pivot a little bit for those that are say more, more seniored. They have that business experience. They're coming from other fields, but they're interested in cybersecurity and in data management or privacy. And mm -hmm. now you're looking at roles that dabble into this field. 
what are some of the things that companies are looking for these more senior individuals to mm -hmm. have, even if they haven't had the title in the past? Yeah, that's a great question. And the, an the short answer, it's an ugly answer. It really comes down to following the money. And what I mean by that is if you're hiring a VP or a C-level executive in a, in a smaller company that's looking to grow and get to an exit, right? Because these companies have investors and those investors have priorities and responsibilities to their, to their limited partners and things like that, right? So in, in that scenario where, and I've done this, I've brought executives from outside of security into a cybersecurity company and it changes depending on the function, CHRO you're looking for different things than a CMO, right? And maybe that's a role where it does make more sense to take that risk on getting a non-cyber person. And I've done that. And um, the person I'm thinking of right now is a total rock star and killing it. And so just a recent example there, but I would say <clears throat> a track record of success. If you've, if you've been in a similarly sized company with similar types of investors, with similar goals with regards to an exit, and there's been success there, whether that's venture capital backed stuff or private equity owned stuff, which are, I would say are two different arenas. Uh, and I've worked in both and I've seen the preferences on either side be quite different. It's going to come down to the track record of success. So maybe you don't have the domain expertise, but Hey, I've been at a series, a company I've, I've helped a company grow from a hundred people to 500 people and had an acquisition, for example. And then on the other side, like, and this is not just for the senior roles. I think this is e even more important for the people that haven't had a career long enough to build a track record, it's how you are, right? Your soft skills and do you have a level of humility about you? Because a lot of people don't. <laughs> a lot of people go into an interview and it's like, they feel you feel like, hey, do you even want to be here? Why'd you take the interview? Or, hey, I gave you a tough question and you totally fell apart because you didn't like that I challenged you. That stuff happens at the more junior level. It also happens at the more senior level. And it's, I'm always really pleasantly surprised to find somebody that's just hit it out of the park over and over and is still very humble and very excited to get their hands dirty. It's rare, but those people are definitely out there in cyber. And I think there are a lot of people who fit that description outside of cyber that probably would have, they'd be reinvigorated to come into a new industry and do it all over again, or maybe they did it in ad tech for 10 years and they're just burnt out on that, but they love the adventure of building a business and new challenges and creating categories and all that. So I'm meandering through this answer now, so I'm not sure we're even talking about the same question at this point, but I would say looking for a track record of success, looking for those parallels between the companies they've been at, maybe not a cyber company and the company that you're working at or whatever, and then the soft skills side. And that's something that, and feel free to interject here, but soft skills can be learned <laughs> or can be relearned. So. I think not that you want to hire somebody that you need to babysit and coach, but for yourself, if you're listening and you know, maybe you can think of an instance in the past where you've gotten some tough feedback and not taken it well, even if you didn't uh, express outwardly, but maybe it felt bad and you ruminated on that. Being introspective about that kind of stuff and making sure that you stay in touch with that, that sense of humility, I think is so important. And that can make up for a lot of shortcomings on the more technical experience side um, for a lot of roles anyways. So how's that for a really long answer? Hey, hey, that works. Now pivoting to another tricky area. So 2023 mid-year, you started to see a lot of concerns about the economy. You started to see a lot of layoffs, mm -hmm. both mid to senior leaders. And the trend seems to have continued, at least in my perspective. How do employers see 
executives that have been on a long layoff as you're looking to re-enter the workforce after such a long period of time? It's a great question. It, and every hiring manager is different. And, every, and I think it's different for every role as well. Again, uh, coming back to the soft skills, if we're talking about more technical roles, especially in the security practitioner side, there are lots of folks out there that have the goods. They've got the skills, but maybe they don't quite have that, you know, that personal touch that some people are looking for. So I would say you know, that's one consideration is making sure that you know, you're pleasant to interact with and stuff. And, but the other thing is if you had a great track record before this sabbatical, whatever you'd like to call it, that definitely helps. And I would say, make sure that you highlight and really spoon feed. If it's a resume, spoon feed the reader, those of, of your um, background that are, that kind of parallel the opportunity that you're going for, because not everybody's going to read your resume. And even if they do, they may not understand it. There might be something going on in the background. So really making sure that you spoon feed the reader those relevant pieces of your information kind of up front on a resume or in a conversation, I think are important. Everybody knows what the last year has been like. No one's going to be surprised to see that folks have been out of work. I'm not. It's been a slow year for me too. It's been my worst year, really, um, which makes sense if you look at what's going on and that I specialize in the cybersecurity arena. So I would say it's no surprise to people. And I think a lot of employers are going to be able to get past that. Now, budgets are another story. And do they have the budget to make that higher right now? We're not even two weeks into the new year yet. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But I will say last year, in the first half of the year, I saw a lot of layoffs at the more junior level. The second half of the year, I saw the same thing at the more senior and executive level. And so I expect we're probably going to start rebuilding from the ground up a little bit to start out with. And I think some of the economic pressure is getting relieved a bit, right? The Fed has said they're probably going to maybe even cut rates a couple times this year. I think the number was three times this year. I don't know. I'm not an economist, I, uh, so I don't know if that's the right move or not, but I'm glad to hear that they're not going to keep hiking rates, at least not every single quarter. So that should help. So last year, there was a lot of consolidation uh, in the private equity space. I think that's getting less and less now. And those companies that have been acquired and some of them have been rolled together and stuff like that are going to be looking to continue to build and put the pedal to the metal and start hiring again. And then lastly, you know, the smaller companies, the kind of series, you know, seed stage, series A, series B, series C companies, they're starting to get funded again, right? If you look at the last like three months and even the last uh, couple of weeks, you've seen You've seen lots of funding in the cybersecurity space at that stage. So I don't think we're quite out of the woods yet, but like I can see the sun coming through the trees and I think we're getting to the edge of the woods here. Keep your head, head up if you're still on that job search. Somebody's going to see the value. Just keep at it. Keep that positive attitude and keep your morale high. It's the same advice I give myself. I, I love the positive attitude. Kyle, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your perspectives. I really appreciate it. And to all of you, if you've been watching this episode, share it with someone else that might be interested in cybersecurity. Like we said, they could be coming from other fields because we really do need different perspectives and individuals that look at this problem set differently so that we can try to approach it with a new angle and potentially take lessons learned from other fields and apply it to this field. Thank Absolutely. you all for joining and thank you, Kyle, for sharing your, your perspectives. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me.
in the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity. Your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.